Listen, all you New Yorkers. Hello. I hope no one's eating dinner. Something like that. What's up, everybody? It's 10 o'clock on Monday night, which means it's time for the next best thing. Dear Jesus. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Well, get ready. Don't go anywhere. We have a great, 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 great show lined up for you tonight. I can't even contain myself. But before we get to any of that, we'd like to kick the show off by doing what we always do, and that is review all of the great and the not-so-great things that have happened on... This Day in History. Today is March 13th, and on this day in history, in 1639, Harvard University was named for clergyman John Harvard. On this day in 1781, Sir William Herschel discovered the planet Uranus, or Uranus. On this day in 1852, the New York Lantern newspaper published the first Uncle Sam cartoon. On this day in 1865, Jefferson Davis signed a bill authorizing slaves to be used as soldiers for the Confederacy. On this day in 1868, the U.S. Senate began the impeachment trial of President Andrew Johnson. On this day in 1901, Andrew Carnegie announced that he was retiring from business and that he would spend the rest of his days giving away his fortune. His net worth was estimated at $300 million, which today would be over $9 billion. On this day in 1902, one year later, Andrew Carnegie approved 40 applications from libraries for donations. On this day in 1925, a law in Tennessee prohibited the teaching of evolution. Forward thinkers. On this day in 1930, the planet Pluto was discovered by scientist Clyde Tombaugh. On this day in 1951, the comic strip Dennis the Menace appeared for the first time in newspapers across the country. On this day in 1957, Jimmy Hoffa was arrested by the FBI on bribery charges. On this day in 1972, the Merv Griffith show, Merv Griffin show, pardon me, debuted in syndication for Metro Media Television. On this day in 1974, the U.S. Senate voted 54 to 33 to restore the death penalty. On this day in 2006, in New York, the official start of construction of the National September 11th Memorial and Museum began. And lastly, on this very day in 2012, after 244 years of publication, the Encyclopedia Britannica announced it would discontinue its print edition. Sad. No one reads anymore and no one researches. At least not how it used to. At least not how they used to. Oh, and we also have some birthdays for today. On this very day in 1980, Molly Shannon, most famous for her SNL character of Mary Catherine Gallagher, was born. Also, Emile Hirsch in 1985. That's what happened on this day in history. And who knows, perhaps we'll make history right here tonight on Radio Free Brooklyn and be studied for years to come. But who are we kidding? Probably not. You're listening to the next best thing. Stay tuned. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
Holy sweet mother of God, it is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so you know what that means. Is it time for your favorite show ever? No, but it is time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was School of Rock from the movie School of Rock. Not to be confused with the musical School of Rock. Can you hear me? One second. Testing. One, two, three. Are we on? Great. Um, I hope people are staying warm, staying prepared. Um, I think this is all a little ridiculous. I'm talking about the stupid snowstorm, the blizzard. It's a blizzard. I mean, people are going to the grocery store and packing up as if we are about to be snowed in for three weeks at the very minimum. That's not going to happen. It's not supposed to. I um I work in an after school program and i have to say that school was canceled for tomorrow at two o'clock today at which time it was beautifully sunny beautifully warm outside uh there was no reason to cancel school now i get it maybe there will be a great and important reason to have school canceled by tomorrow morning but until tomorrow morning we won't know for sure so why not wait i say that for a number of reasons but the primary one is because when i was growing up and in elementary school, I didn't get these 24-hour notices that, hey, you have no school tomorrow, so live it up. No. We had to go home, do homework, uh, practice piano, go to bed early, assume we had school. We wouldn't find out if school was on or off until maybe like 5 or 6 in the morning, we, which means we still had to get our asses out of bed, watch the television, look for the scroll at the bottom, and hope for the best. And by the best, I mean hope that we saw our school district scroll across that bottom part. All of this stuff about, you know, taking advance notice, giving them the day off pretty much before the day, way before the day even starts, that's nice. That's a convenience. These New York City kids should feel very blessed because they are. Anywho, it's been, it's been a week. It's been a busy week. It's been a crazy week. I feel like I say that every week because I feel like that's true every week. Um, before we get into what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world, let's do the housekeeping that we always have to take care of. Let's just get it out of the way right off the top. If at any point throughout the broadcast you hear an item you would like to discuss or feel there's a tidbit that you could contribute to the show, by all means, feel free to call in. The call-in number is 718 928 9732. Again, that's 718 928 9RFB 9732. Or if you don't want to be heard on the air because you're a little bashful, no problem, you can tweet at us. We are at Next Best Radio. That's at Next Best Radio. Or go ahead and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. A lot of stuff gets posted on our Facebook page, stuff that we talk about in any given episode, information links to pertinent sites, all that stuff usually goes up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash NBT radio. Also, if you're really feeling like you want to go all out and write more than 140 characters, more than something you'd feel comfortable posting on a Facebook wall, you can always feel free to send us an email. We are at nextbestradio at gmail.com. And lastly, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported. 
If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page, and donating a little something-something to keep us in business. If you like what you hear tonight, well, a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more next week and the weeks after that. Uh, if you feel so inclined, you can go to rfb.nyc slash nbt. Again, that's rfb.nyc slash nbt. And the last thing I'll tell you before we get on to the important cool stuff is that all episodes of The Next Best Thing are now available on iTunes as podcasts. Holy crap, that is huge news. It actually happened weeks ago, but every time I say it, I just get a little excited because it's huge. Uh, if you ever miss an episode of The Next Best Thing, which, come on, let's be honest, you miss most of them, uh, you can go to the iTunes store or check the podcast app on your iPhone. Just type in The Next Best Thing, click on our logo, which I trust you know, and there you will find literally all of the past episodes. You'll see the title so you can pick and choose which ones pique your interest or which ones just simply sound the most bearable. Listen to those, and if you have a few minutes, um, rate us, review us, tell a friend, tell a relative, tell an enemy, do whatever you got to do to spread the word, because the word of mouth is how we grow. Oh, man, that was exhausting, wasn't it? It was for me. I'm sure it was for you, too. So, that's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything... Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Good. If at any point throughout the broadcast you hear a topic you would like to discuss or feel you have a tidbit that you could contribute, please don't hesitate to call in. I would absolutely love it. It would make my day. How about you, Brandon? Would it make your day? I don't really care. Great! The number to call is 718-928-9RFB. Again, that's 718-928-9732. And you know what? Even if you just want to call in and say hello, or better yet, call in and say, You suck! Go ahead. It would be just as delightful. Now on with the show... All right, and we're back. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner. Okay, so last week we did a show called Tongue and Cheekly, The Best Voices of All Time. Now, I thought it was a fine show. I felt fine about it. I mean, I felt good about it. I felt great about it. I always feel great about it. Well, we got some responses, and while some of them were positive, a lot of people were really pissed off that we left a number of people out. Now, I thought I tried to make it pretty clear that this was not going to be a complete list. I said that at the top. I tried to say it a few times throughout. I realized, I fully realized that there were people um, not on that list that could have and perhaps should have been. Some of the people not on that list that got the most support, I guess you could say, or people were most pissed off about were Barbara Streisand. Tony Bennett, Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, Maria Callas, Ethel Merman, <laughs> Ethel Merman, okay, she, yeah, unique, Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, I specifically did say that Whitney Houston could slash should be on the list, but wasn't going to be, Christina Aguilera was never going to be on the list, give me a freaking break, yes, she has a nice voice, but the, the list was called the best voices of all time, now, 
a lot of these people that I've just listed, the only reason I even mention them now is because I agree they probably could have been on the list, maybe even should have. But people, this was a crudely put, I mean, I don't want to say crudely put together list, but obviously if you do, if you ever look at BuzzFeed, for God's sake, any list you see on there and you'll find any list you could ever think of and more is subjective. You know, I love the 90s. They do on VH1. American Film Institute puts like 100 films, 100 scores, 100 films, 100 leading ladies, 100 films, 100 screams, whatever. And then they put together their lists. And you're never going to agree with it 100%. So there's that. But also, it was a incomplete list, and I tried to make that clear. I'm sorry if it wasn't, and I'm sorry if some of you felt like someone you love and admire got the shaft. I did not mean for that to happen. Now, another thing that people actually, I was very surprised to get feedback about was people said, and this is when this was an actual email. It said that it sounded like I had much more to say about Judy Garland, and they were very interested in hearing what that was. That was one email. Another email, an email, I, I have to say, up until last week, I had gotten like three emails total. Following the Best Voices show, I got 16 emails. 16 emails sent to nextbestradio at gmail.com. That's the address to send an email to if, in fact, you want to voice your opinion, voice your feelings, concerns, thoughts. And we always welcome them, truly. But yeah, people also, so that was one email I got about Judy Garland. Another email I got about Judy Garland was that they liked, they, at first they were angry because they felt like I gave her more time than any of the other voices. But after listening to my whole spiel on Judy Garland, they said that they wanted to hear more about her because she seemed to live an interesting life. I couldn't, I almost thought I was being punked when I got these emails. Am I being punked? Because, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. If you knew, I have a long history with Judy Garland. Please, uh, hello? And so, honest to God, that was two. those were two emails I got about Judy Garland, and there were two others. People wanted to hear about Judy Garland. I was so surprised, not because she's not worthy. Believe me, she is worthy. But because, truthfully, the real reason I'm being so coy and hesitant here is because Judy Garland is a central figure in my life. Really? Let me, oh, I should also put out a disclaimer here. This, because I'm just responding to people's feedback and people's apparent desire, this is probably going to be one of the gayest, possibly gayest shows you will ever hear. Not just on Radio Free Brooklyn, but ever, ever, anywhere in the universe. Yeah. And that's saying something, I'm pretty sure, because there's a show on this network called Queer State of Mind. Well, they won't be touching this show. This episode, I, I should say. Now, I also need to qualify that because, truth be told, I don't think... The only reason I even thought to say that was because... Not because I think of Judy Garland as this big gay icon, this, you know, symbol of homosexual pride and, you know, all that stuff. I really don't think of her that way. Um, but I know that everyone else in the whole world does. And when they hear the name Judy Garland, they immediately think gay gay people gayness so i do put out that that disclaimer for that reason but i will say this the reason i my um initial i don't want to say interaction judy garland obviously died way before i was born but 
My initial fascination with Judy Garland came when I was very, very young. In fact, I was like two or three years old. You see, I grew up in Kansas, and when I was growing up and I was around three years old, there were two videos I would watch almost every day. One was a home video of my first birthday and birth, because, I don't know, you just can't make movies that great. And the other was The Wizard of Oz because of the imagination, because it was set in my home state of Kansas, and whatnot. But also because I felt a connection, I just, not I felt a connection, I just loved loved the movie. I was two or three years old, and I fell in love with that movie, which most two or three-year-olds do if you show it to them. Um, but I felt an even more special connection because I actually lived in Kansas, where Dorothy was from. Now, as I got a little older and continued to watch it all the time, uh, I think when I was like five, six, six at the oldest. I remember one day my father and I were driving back home from going to lunch and I asked him, I said, I remember this conversation very well and this is exactly how it went. I said, Daddy, I said, is Dorothy a real girl? He said, yeah. I said, oh, and she lives in Kansas? He said, well, uh, yeah, I mean, the character does, yeah. I said, can we, Can you take me to her house? And he said, well, no, she's dead. And that's not a joke. He said, she's dead. He then went on to explain to me, very practically, like you would to a five, six-year-old, that she was actually played by a girl named Judy, and that Judy had died. How did Judy die, I asked? Drugs. He just told me. He was honest. He wasn't going to lie. What was he supposed to say? She was swept up in a tornado? Um, and so... That's that is when I first heard the name Judy Garland. That is when I first even realized that Judy Garland was a real person and it wasn't actually Dorothy Gale. So when I think of, you know, my initial fascination with the performer Judy Garland, it has nothing to do with, you know, her connection with gay stuff or I don't even it has to do with Kansas. It has to do with Initially, it has to do with The Wizard of Oz and Kansas and making that, you know, connection. Then, as I got older, it had to do with learning about her, learning her struggle, her story, how she was horribly treated, and seeing her other work, which is, I think, phenomenal and I think important, uh, and coming to admire the work and coming to admire the resilience, I guess you could say. All right, so we are going to talk about the life and times of Judy Garland just a little bit. And by just a little bit, I mean probably the rest of the show. So, Judy Garland was born... This is, a, this is by request. I know I shouldn't qualify this so much, but it's, this was by request. Judy Garland was born on June 10th, 1922. She was born Frances Ethel Gum, the youngest of three sisters. Now, her father... She was born in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and her father, Frank, was kind of a showman. He would put on shows at the local you know, community center or whatever. And his wife, Ethel, would play the piano. Very untalented, a very shrewd, but kind of nasty woman. She's a bitch. She would play the piano. Now, when Frank and Ethel found out that they were pregnant with a third child, Frank went to a family, their friend, a doctor, and he said, listen, we really can't afford another child. We you know, he kind of came with his tail between his legs late at night, and he was like, we can't afford it. We need some help. We need you 
to hook us up with someone who can help us out. And he was like, Frank, are you, are you trying to, are you trying to ask me to set up an abortion? And Frank said, yes, sheepishly. The doctor refused and Judy Garland was born. I mean, I always feel very conflicted there because I'm thinking, well, I'm pro-choice. So I don't know why, I don't know how I feel about that, but I am glad Judy Garland was born. So anyway, she was performing by the age of two because her mother didn't give a crap about anything but getting her out there, getting all of her daughters out there so that they could possibly, you know, really kind of find their talent, strike some interest by the studios and make money. Well, Judy was the youngest. She was called Baby Gum, the Gum Sisters. That was their performing act. Obviously, Judy was much better than her sisters. That was fairly obvious fairly early on. And so by the age of 12, she was sent to... Actually, I will point out, because this is a recurring theme in her life, the reason they moved initially from... They had to move out of Grand Rapids, Minnesota, because her father was exposed as having had a relationship, a very inappropriate sexual relationship, with an underage boy. So they had to pack up and ship out. Now, again, like I said, that's going to be a recurring theme throughout Judy's life. Um, so her father, kind of in a cloud, had to pack up his family and move. Where did they move? Well, because they were moving due to the father's indiscretions, and at that time, very, very shameful, you know, homosexual act, um, his mom was in charge. The mom was, Judy's mom became in charge, and she, she said, we're moving to Hollywood, goddammit, and they did, and she eventually, at age 12, auditioned for Metro Golden Bear, and they signed her, and one of her first friends was Mickey Rooney, who, by the way, lived to be about 600 years old. He just died I think like a year or two ago, at the age of 90-something. But yes, they, Mickey Rooney was probably the biggest movie star alive back in those days, and he and Judy became best friends. Here is a clip of him talking about his good friend, Judy, in, a, in a, an interview not too long ago. Mickey, do you remember the first time you saw Judy Garland? I certainly do. I saw her at the Pantages Theater in Hollywood with her sisters, called the Gum Sisters from Des Moines, Iowa. And she sang a song that has stayed with me, Robert, all my life. She sang, Zing with the strings of my heart. It was like a breath of spring. I heard a robin sing about her nest set upon. This little girl singing this song, and I just, I couldn't believe it. Later on, we would go to a place called Lawler's, Ma Lawler's Professional School on Hollywood Boulevard, and all of the studio children would go there. Was there immediate rapport between you and Judy, though, when you met, and when you finally began? Oh, yes, at Ma Lawler's. I told her how much I thought of her when I had seen her at the Pantages Theater, and she says, oh, thanks, Mickey. She was my sister. 
from the beginning, the sister I never had. I'm an only child, Robert. But she was my, she was the love I'd searched for. Gosh, it's a great comfort to have somebody you can tell your troubles to, and well, you're always so wonderful about putting me on the right track. Yeah? Yeah. You know, you're going to make some man a fine wife. Yeah? Yeah. And, well, I'm going to envy the guy that gets you, too. Yeah? Yeah, and, and Mary, I'll never forget what a great pal you've been to me. Yeah? Yeah, straight from the shoulder, a real pal. Reminds me of a song. What song? Oh, what a pal was Mary. Yeah! <laughs> she was born to be one of the greatest performers in the world. She certainly acted her lyrics wonderfully. She, without any equivocation. She, uh... She more than acted her lyrics, she lived them. Our love affair was meant to be. It's me for you, dear, and you for me. We'll fuss, we'll quarrel, and tears start to brew. But after the tears, our love will All right, and so then it goes on and plays a few samples of her early, early roles. So, but that just goes to show how deeply connected Mickey Rooney felt to Judy Garland all throughout his whole life. Really, I wish he could have helped her um, later on in her life. Now, okay, so she was signed by MGM at the age of twelve, right before she turned thirteen, um, and immediately that you would think that'd be a huge deal, a very exciting thing for her and her family. Well, it was exciting for her mother, but her mother didn't really let her feel excited about it because the first thing she pointed out was how she was ugly, how ugly she was compared to all the other girls. I mean, that was her mother saying that. And her mother, by saying that and saying that in front of the studio people, gave them the idea that, hey, well, not that they really need, not that they really needed permission, but by seeing that, they realized, well, hey, so she knows it, so we can let her, so we can be as honest and brutal and awful to this little girl as possible. And they were. Uh, they told her that, you know, yes, we'll sign you because you have an unbelievable voice, but you're not very pretty. And let's be honest, you'd look too old for the typical child star, but obviously too young for any adult roles. And from that day forward, her physical appearance was a constant, constant, constant she was constantly reminded that she was only, you know, barely five feet tall. And she, you know, had she was kind of cute, girl next door looks, but she just was nothing compared to the glamorous um, movie stars of the day. Like, you know, I mean, Judy went to school with people like Ava Garner, Lana Turner, Elizabeth Taylor, gorgeous, gorgeous young women at the time. And she didn't look like that. And so she felt very self-conscious and anxious. And she was made to feel that way by her mother, her wretched bitch mother. Um, but there was a quote, I remember, someone said that Judy was a real big moneymaker at the time, a huge success, but she was the ugly duckling. I think it had a very damaging effect on her emotionally for a long time, and it lasted forever, really. Her insecurity was exacerbated by the attitude of studio chief Louis B. Mayer, who referred to her as his little hunchback. That is awful. That's awful. But 
Um, she eventually did get a role in a very, I mean, she performed at studio functions like dinners and galas and stuff, but they eventually cast her in something called Every Sunday, which was a short, stupid thing that nobody saw, but they cast her alongside another young starlet, Deanna Durbin, who was blonde and beautiful, and she sang very operatically. And here's a little sample of this. Now, this Judy's just turned 13 years old. This is three years before Wizard of Oz. And listen to her voice. Beautiful, right? 13-year-old girls singing together. So that actually, it turned out, was... I mean, the short film contrasted the vocal styles and ranges. It contrasted Judy's kind of swing and jazzy style with the other girls' operatic soprano. And it really just served as an extended screen test for the pair and gave the studio executives kind of a chance to see which one they wanted to keep. They didn't think they needed to have two young girls, two young singers, on the roster. Eventually, they did decide to keep both, but pretty soon after that, the other girl, Deanna Durbins, signed with Universal, and so Judy was the one. Okay, so from that point forward, they tried to find something for Judy, usually unsuccessfully. Um, on November, I think it was November 16th, uh, Judy learned that her dad, who was her only true supporter, and this is what gets me... If um. Because this is really where I think she lost her one support system. The one person who probably was served as like a stable, um, I don't know, a real important influence and supportive force in her life. She learned in November of 1935 that her dad had been hospitalized with meningitis and had taken a turn for the worst. And she was she learned about this in the middle of getting ready, like literally waiting to go on for a um, for a uh, radio performance. Back in those days, they did live radio broadcasts like live television broadcasts are done today, I guess. Um, but yeah, so she was waiting to go on. She was told by like a stagehand 
that her dad had taken a turn for the worse. And the only reason that a stagehand would have come on to say something like that at that time was because he was probably going to die. And um, so uh, she had to keep going. I think the, actually, if I, I think like the Shell Chateau Hour was the name of the radio show that Judy was on. And she wanted to say, well, okay, so just skip me and have someone else go on and I'm going to go see him. They said to her, if you do, you're going to break your contract. That's breaking your contract. And then, you know, they're already having such a hard time with you. Like, just sing for him. He would want you to hear it. You know, they threw that in trying to manipulate her, which they did. And and he died. He died. um, He died during her performance. So they say, now, I don't know. Obviously, I wasn't there. I don't know if that's really true. But he was dead by the time she got to the hospital at age 13. And I do know this, though. The song that she sang that night on the Shell Chateau Hour was the same song that she sang, number one, at the Pantages Theater, the first time Mickey Rooney ever heard her, and it's the song she sang to audition for MGM. And that song was Zing Went the Strings of My Heart, a song that stayed in her concert rep her entire career. smiled at me I heard a melody it haunted me from the start something inside of me started a symphony sing with the strings of my heart was like a breath of spring a robin sing about a nest set apart all nature seemed to be in perfect harmony sing with the strings of my heart your eyes made sky seem blue again what else could I do again but keep repeating through and through, I love you, love you. I still recall the thrill, I guess I always will. I hoped we'll never depart. Dear, with your lips to mine, a rhapsody divine sing. Went the strings of my heart. When you smiled at me, I heard a melody. It haunted me from the start. Something inside of me started a symphony. Sing went the strings of my heart. Was like a breath of spring. I heard a woman sing about a nest set apart. All nature seemed to be in perfect harmony. Sing with the strings of my heart. Your eyes made sky seem blue again. What else could I do again but keep repeating through and through? I love you, love you. I still recall. 
call the thrill. I guess I always will. I hope we'll never depart. Deal with your lips to mine. A rhapsody divine. Sing, oh, 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 with the strings of my heart. All right. And um, another song she performed recent, not long after that radio show was it brought her to the attention of studio execs was a she sang a special arrangement of you made me love you i didn't want to do it to clark gable at a birthday party held by the studio for him uh this was still when she was getting no roles she was just being you know taken around to events and galas and ceremony you know uh, banquets and stuff for the studio to sing for people within the studio Dear Mr. Gable, I am writing this to you And I hope that you will read it so you'll know My heart beats like a hammer And I stutter and I stammer Every time I see you at the picture show I guess I'm just another fan of yours and I thought I'd write and tell you so. Oh, 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 you made me love you. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. You made me love you. And all the time you knew it. I guess you always knew it. You made me happy. Sometimes you made me glad But there were times, sir You made me feel so sad You made me sigh Cause I didn't want to tell you I didn't want to tell you I think you're grand That's true, yes I do Deed I do, you know do I must tell you what I'm feeling the very mention of your name sends my heart reeling you know you made me love you oh gee Mr. Gable I don't want to bother you guess guess you got a lot of girls that tell you the same thing and if you don't want to read this letter well you don't have to but I just had to tell you about the time I saw you, and it happened one night. That was the first time I ever... It was very cute, and Clark Gable loved it, and he always remembered her for it. Uh, Clark Gable, if you remember, was making Gone with the Wind, while Judy was making The Wizard of Oz, which is where we find ourselves right now. Finally, they found a role that was perfect for Judy, but not so fast you see first of all even during this time where she was sent from banquet to banquet to you know uh ceremony to gala to party to birthdays all this stuff just to sing for the other for the big stars well it was right around this time that she and all the other child actors young performers this is when they started to be given amphetamines not just to stay awake but to keep them up, keep them energetic, keep them moving and going so that they could do these uh, live appearances and films at a frantic pace. I mean, back in those days, 
MGM especially, do they just made one film after another. And so they gave the kids amphetamines, and then they would also prescribe them barbiturates to take before going to bed. So they gave them uppers to get them up and energetic, and then barbiturates, downers, to get them down and able to sleep every now and then. This was when she was like 14 years old, 12, 13, 14 years old. That's when this started. And whenever a problem came up, like she was too exhausted or she was too tired or she, you know, couldn't remember this or couldn't get, you know, more drugs. That's what her mom said. That's what the doctor said. That's what the student never, never once was there any uh, consideration for. Well, you know, maybe she just needs a little break. Maybe she's fried. Now, this was before she even started making movies, which finally happened around 1938-39 when it was revealed that they were hoping to use her for the big Wizard of Oz film produced in Technicolor, but not so fast. After telling her that they wanted her to play the role of Dorothy Gale, it was like a week or two weeks later that they had to tell her, wait, never mind. We spoke to the studio execs and they want Shirley Temple, who was a huge box office draw at the time. Shirley Temple. Shirley Temple. We all love Shirley Temple. I think she died recently, maybe, maybe not. I can't remember, but this isn't about her. Um, can you imagine? Now, Shirley Temple is famous for... She's speaking for that cutesy voice. Can you imagine The Wizard of Oz with that obnoxious little cutesy voice? And by now, she was, what, 16? So she wasn't a cute little baby girl. That would have driven me crazy, and it probably never would have had the impact on me that it did, or any of the other kids. Um, but they offered it to Shirley Temple... Then they went to her studio, Fox, and tried to have her sing through some of the songs and realized that she wasn't vocally able to carry that show, carry that film. So they went to Deanna Durbin, the girl that Judy performed in very early on in her career, so side by side, so they could pick which one they wanted. They picked Judy, and then they offered Deanna Durbin the role of Dorothy Gale. She couldn't get out of her contract. And so eventually they finally settled on giving Judy the role of Dorothy Gale, her most memorable role in The Wizard of Oz. But even then the struggles continued. The Wizard of Oz, by the time it wrapped, had five different directors. They went through all kinds of different costumes, all different uh, makeup designs, hair designs. At one point she was wearing a blonde wig with cutesy doll makeup. And in order to cut time off the film... They cut the song Over the Rainbow. They cut it. They said they don't want a lead in one of their films to be singing a song in a barn. So they cut it. Now, that's impossible because if you watch that film, the Over the Rainbow theme and motif is played throughout the whole song. And so finally, the composers of all people, not the director, not the producer, not anyone on the creative team but uh, excuse me on the production team but the composers talked them into putting over the rainbow back into the movie and it became an american classic her most memorable role of dorothy gale and it taught me and you and everyone else the one of the most important life lessons out there to learn there's no place like home there's no place like home Wake up, honey. 
place like home. There's no place like home. There's no Dorothy, Dorothy, dear. It's Aunt Em, darling. Oh, Annie Em. It's you. Yes, darling. Hello there. Anybody home? I, uh, I just dropped by because I heard the little girl got caught in the big... Well, she seems all right now. Yeah, she got quite a bump on the head. We kind of thought there for a minute she was going to leave us. Oh. But I did leave you, Uncle Henry. That's just the trouble. And I tried to get back for days and days. There, there. Lie quiet now. You just had a bad dream. Sure. Remember me? Your old pal, Hunk? Oh. <laughs> me? <laughs> Hickory? You couldn't forget my face, could you? But it wasn't a dream. It was a place. And you, and you, and you, and you were there. Oh, <laughs> But you couldn't have been, could you? Well, we dream lots of silly things when we... No, Aunt Em. This was a real, truly live place. And I remember that some of it wasn't very nice, but most of it was beautiful. But just the same, all I kept saying to everybody was, I want to go home. And they sent me home. <laughs> Doesn't anybody believe me? Of course we believe you, Dorothy. Oh, but anyway, Toto, we're home. Home. And this is my room. And you're all here. And I'm not going to leave here ever, ever again. Because I love you all. And, oh, Annie M, there's no place like home. Absolutely there's not. Okay, so... That was a box office success. By the way, throughout the filming of that movie, they, you know, forced her to tape down her breasts because she was 16 and she was supposed to be playing a young girl. They had her, they were feeding her tobacco so as to um, uh, suppress her appetite. So all of this treatment started very early on. She married eventually. She married to get away from her psychotic mother. She married her first of five husbands. She married David Rose. And then she met Vincent Minnelli gay he was gay um that's recurring theme i believe three at least two possibly three of judy garland's five husbands were gay were gay at the time it wasn't even that much of a secret but anyway um she met vincent minnelli when she was cast as esther no 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 excuse me as um as what what was the her name in the uh in Meet me in St. Louis. Well, she was cast as, uh, as I can't remember the name of the character, but she was cast in Meet Me in St. Louis, where she performed um, the song Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which became a standard around the holiday season, and she performed with the little girl Margaret O'Brien as well. First, two cars. Oh, Ed, want an introduction? Yes, the Lauren. Upon a Zulu from Madame Boo Boo, and every morning. 
Her character's name in that film was Esther Smith. I got I got uh, stopped up because her character's name in A Star is Born is Esther Blotchett, and I thought, was she really Esther in two different films? I don't believe so. So, yes, it was. It was Esther Smith in that film. She also sang the trolley song, The Boy Next Door, all that stuff in that um, film. So that was directed by Vincent Minnelli, who she married, who also directed her in The Clock, who I said earlier was gay, was gay. Now, during the filming of a film called The Pirate, also directed by Vincent Minnelli, uh, Judy suffered her first official true nervous breakdown and was placed in a private sanitarium. She was able to complete filming, but then in July, she started trying to commit suicide uh, by, it was never real. I mean, honestly, she had like superficial cuts to her wrists and neck, but during this period, she spent two weeks in a treatment center, I think, a psychiatric hospital. Um, yeah, not going well. And instead of, um, being helped, the, you know, she had made so many movies for MGM and instead of like really being concerned about helping their, you know, big star, they were concerned about protecting their image and getting rid of her. I mean, if she wasn't going to be able to perform, then get rid of her. But not before putting her to work. I mean, she has so many setbacks. She was, you know, by this time she was, um, she was really struggling with addiction, but no one cared and no one stopped to actually notice that. They just would notice when she couldn't get to work on time or when she was having trouble working. But in the midst of all those struggles, she did have a few hits. For example, Summer Stock. Summer Stock was the last film she ever made with MGM um, before they just threw her out. Now, she, you know, she had a lot of personal problems during filming, and it proved to be her last MGM movie, and it was her last on-screen pairing with Gene Kelly. But it did, at least, from that film came one of her most famous songs. Forget your troubles, come on, get happy You better chase all your cares away Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy Get ready for the judgment day The sun is shining, come on, get happy The Lord is waiting to take your hand Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy We're going to the promised land We're heading across the river Wash your sins away in the tide It's all so peaceful on the other side 
come on, get happy. You better chase all your cares away. Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy. Get ready for the judgment day. Forget your troubles, come on, get happy. Chase your cares away. Hallelujah, get happy for the judgment day. Shining, come on, get happy. The Lord is waiting to take your hand. Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy. We're gonna be going to the promised land. We're heading across the river, wash your sins away in the tide. It's quiet and peaceful on the other side. Forget your troubles, get happy. Your cares fly away. Shout hallelujah. cares away. Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy. Get ready for the judgment day. Sun is shining, come on, get happy. Lord is waiting to take your hand. Hallelujah, come on, get happy. We're going to the promised land. Heading across the river, throw your sins away in the tide. It's all so peaceful on the other side. Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy. You better chase all your cares away. Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready for the judgment day. All right, so... Following that film, she was terminated from MGM, made to feel like a complete embarrassment, and had a number of stays in, you know, psychiatric units, mental breakdowns. She, you know, there were a number of suicide attempts, but it was really kind of superficial. A lot of them didn't even... I mean, she was cast in a lot of other things. Like, she was cast in a film called Royal Wedding. She was supposed to be the star in Annie Get Your Gun, which I think ended up featuring some other woman because she got fired. Uh, Featured, well, I can't remember, but she was supposed to be an anti gun, but she just couldn't do it. She couldn't work at the pace they were trying to make her work, and so they just threw her out and said, to hell with you, and they threw her out. Um, she went to treatment. She started a concert tour. She started a live performance career, and throughout all this, by the way, so she had went through husbands David Rose, Vincent Minnelli. Then she met Sid Luft, who helped her get her concert career off and with whom she had two other children. So that would be all of her children, Liza Minnelli with her second husband, then Lorna Luft and Joey Luft with her third husband. All of her children are still alive today. Two of them are performers, as we know, Liza. Lorna is a performer and other things, and I don't know what Joe does. He's out of the public eye, but he is alive. Um, Then in 1954 came her huge comeback. It was produced by Warner Brothers. It was A Star Is Born, from which... A lot of her really famous songs, like The Man That Got Away, came from. Here's one of my favorites. It comes towards the beginning of the picture. Uh, A Star Is Born, if you haven't seen it, what's wrong with you? Go see it. That's not it. That's from Easter Parade. Okie dokie. Here's from A Star Is Born.
spot this, not so hot this. Hey there, shy one, come be my one. Please don't rush off, want no brush off. I can't compel you to buy what I'd sell you, but I'd like to tell you like so. You wanna have bells that'll ring. You wanna have songs that'll sing. You want your sky up, baby blue. You gotta have me go with you. Hey, you fool, you. Why so cool, you? When I'm ready to go steady. You wanna have eyes that'll shine. You wanna have grapes on the vine. You want a love that's truly true. You gotta have me go with you. Why the hold out? All right, all right. That's from A Star is Born, which was her big Hollywood comeback. Now, as you can hear, her voice sounds great, sounds strong, sounds clear, but sounds different. It doesn't sound like the girl you heard in The Wizard of Oz or Meet Me in St. Louis because age, for one, but more so, much more so than age, it's just the alcohol, the cigarettes, but also the barbiturates and the amphetamines. That stuff dries you out. It takes a huge toll on your voice. Plus, she had nervous breakdowns. She was totally emotionally abused, and it definitely took a toll. Plus, when you think back to the first thing I played for you, when she was singing that, um, you know, with Deanna Durbin, and she's singing, her, she's like 12 years old, and she sounds like a 30-year-old woman. Well, you know, as impressive as that is, that's not too healthy and if you sing like that if you sing kind of above where you should be singing it's going to damage your voice and it did it started to damage her voice so after that film for a star is born she was nominated for an academy award for best actress and in the run-up to the i think it was like the 27th academy awards everyone everyone figured she would win it was a huge triumph that film and she carried it truly i mean it's it's amazing uh, she couldn't attend the ceremony because she had just given birth to her son. So a television crew was in the hospital room with cameras and wires. Everyone expected her to win, and they were there to broadcast her acceptance speech. And the Oscar goes to Grace Kelly for The Country Girl. Absolutely, positively absurd. Uh, I just, it's if you see those two movies, yeah, I mean, truly. A real... Oh, I don't know. Uh, it's unbelievable. I don't. I have nothing against Grace Kelly, but she was not better in The Country Girl. Does anyone even know? I mean, The Country Girl. Anyway, the camera crew packed up so quickly that um, Judy was sitting there left alone before Grace Kelly even finished her her speech. But I do remember. I know that Groucho Marx sent Judy a telegram saying it was the biggest robbery since Brinks. Uh. Time labels her performance as, quote, just about the greatest one-woman show in modern movie history. She did win the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Musical. Great. Her films that came after that 
After A Star is Born were Judgment at Nuremberg, which she did not sing in. It's not a musical. She was also nominated for an Oscar. Um, she was also in the animated feature Gay Puri, A Child is Waiting with Burt Lancaster. Her final film was I Could Go On Singing. That was in 1963. And in that film, she did sing. She played pretty much herself. She played Judy Garland. I mean, she played some, I mean, she played a an aging singer, movie star, concert performer, and a lot of her big concert pieces that she was using in her concert repertoire came from that film. But um, she also had a short-lived television show on CBS called The Judy Garland Show, and um, it was very successful, but got canceled because I guess the network thought she was difficult to work with. Anyway, uh, she had a lot of big-time famous guests. One of them was a very young, a very unheard-of-at-the-time up-and-comer named Barbara Streisand. And they sang a duet. Forget your troubles. Happy days. Come on, get happy. I hear again the screams. All our cares above are clear. Shout hallelujah. So let's sing a song. Come on, get happy. Cheer again. Happy days are here again. The sun is shining together. Come on, happy. Shout it now. Another uh, special guest she had on her CBS show, The Judy Garland Show, was a former co-star of hers named Ray Bolger, who played the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. By now, they were obviously both adults, and um, I have to say, it is a very touching uh, segment. Um, It starts with him singing one of his signature songs from the movie. I could while away the hours conferring with the flowers and my head I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching 
fortune if I only had a brain. I'd unravel every riddle for any individual in trouble or in pain. With the thoughts I'd be thinking, I could be another Lincoln if I only had a brain. Come on, you know what? I think oh, so. Oh, I could tell you why. Oh, oh I could tell you why. <laughs> What's next? The ocean. The, the ocean's near the shore. I could think of things. I could think of things, things I never thought before. before. And then I sit. And, and then, then I sit. And think some more. I would not be just a nothing. My head all full of stuffing. My heart all full of pain. And perhaps I deserve you and be even worthy of you <laughs> if I only had a brain. Follow the yellow before. <laughs> you remember, this is the great, the great guy, uh, he was so wonderful and such a, a marvelous performance, Bert Law, oh, the Cowardly cool. Lion. Well, that is the funniest thing to me. Now, Bert, Bert, Bert is a, a really dreamy guy and he's so sincere, you know. He's so, he's so, his work means more to him than anything else in the whole. he was so hot in that lion's costume. <laughs> the poor the guy said, weigh 90 pounds. He said, <laughs> said look at that tin man over there, going to sleep, sound asleep on an island. He said, I can't sleep at night. But anyway, what happened to him was that the, he fought with the studio. They wanted to give him a five-week guarantee, and he insisted on a six. And it was five. He said six. They said five. He said six. They settled for six, and the picture ran seven six months. <laughs> Every day. Yeah. Every day. Well, he must have made a lot of money on that. Eh? We've got oh. to call him about that. We ought to call yes. him. I don't, I don't know where he is now. He's going to do a show on Broadway. Well, hey, I, look I, at this. Hey, look, look at look at I I I want I asked him to get these things. Oh, want to see something? Oh, oh my. <laughs> Oh, you were beautiful. What are you talking oh, I was, about? I was, I was what do you mean, fat little girl? You were absolutely gorgeous. Can we take a picture of that? Oh, that was. <laughs> and Toto. Look at hey, you, like hey, you have a little Toto right now, yeah, haven't you? Look at this. <laughs> Everybody see? Yeah, hold it still. Hold it still. Oh, but this is the one. This is so sweet. He wants that right in here. I don't think that's Isn't Oh, I adore it. What are you talking about? Oh, here we are. Put a leash on me and take me home. All right. Well, I thought it, I thought they had in that cut. Maybe they have it in this one. But they go on to talk about. In fact, here I think it is. No, darling, that's oh, marvelous. Shall we? Shall we get on the yellow brick road? Hey, how that? Follow right. the yellow. We're. We're. we're wait, hold it, hold, wait a minute. We're. No, we're too high. We're, too high. No, it's fine. It's we're, we're, we're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. We're in the wizard of Oz. There's never a wizard of Oz. They said in that same segment that he goes on to talk about why it meant so much to him that picture because he you know he grew up reading the Wizard of Oz and his mother told him always that you know everybody everybody has a heart everybody has courage everybody has a brain and if you stay on the path 
then eventually it leads you back to home. That's what the gift is. When you follow at the end of the rainbow, you'll find a home. And I just thought it was so beautiful. I'm I'm sure I'm messing that up, the paraphrase, but something like that. It was a beautiful sentiment. Um, so one, uh, so like I said, she went on to have a very successful concert career. Um, but she also, okay, so here we go. Judy Garland, despite having a phenomenally successful film career, uh, being awarded, she should have won at least one Academy Award, but she was nominated for three. Uh, she was had a successful performing concert career, live performances, uh, radio, film, on stage, everything. She was broke. She had no money. People, you know, whether it was her representatives, her husbands, her, you know, whoever always people were dreading her money and she was often dirt broke and towards the end of her life she uh was someone suggested that she write a book a tell-all book about her life about her husband's about everyone who had screwed her over and this is hard for me to play because i do you know have such empathy for her um actually the first thing i'm going to play is a quick little interview she gave in like the last five years of her life. And then what I'm going to play is a few uh, excerpts of recordings she did in her house. Some were with a ghostwriter, some were by herself. What she was doing was she was trying to get thoughts recorded so that she could later write them down. It was basically, people do this still to this day, where they will talk into a tape recorder and then have someone transcribe those words into what eventually becomes a book. And it's very... I mean, it's sad. It is so heartbreaking to hear. First of all, she's obviously on drugs or drunk or something, and she's just very, she's very broken. But first, here she is giving an interview later in her life. Judy, first I want to take a moment to express my thanks for your joining us here on this show. I know how hectic your week in Chicago has been and what a great success you've been in. For you to take time out is very gracious of you, Judy. Well, it's Typical a great pleasure. An old friend. As you look back to those days of Metro, which you brought up, Judy, uh, they were very successful years, but they weren't particularly happy years for a young girl who was trying to grow up in a very complicated world. Uh, except for Mickey Rooney. Uh, we had fun. Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, but, but the working uh, schedules and the... We, you know, we just did one picture after another, mm -hmm. and uh, it was it was a tough grind without much money to be paid. And with your us. two children now, are you encouraging them or letting them take their own uh, identity about going into show business? I I think they can do whatever they want to do. If they want to go into show business, like Liza did. Uh, fine. And uh, if my other daughter, Lorna, and my son, Joe, uh, I'm mad about them. I know you are. Did you learn anything as a child star yourself in uh, treating your children? Uh, everybody says you were a victim of a stage mother and driving and you've got to be a success and that's the most important thing in the world in show business. I don't think I liked her well enough to, to, <laughs> to uh, 
learn anything. I was just scared of her, and uh, I I don't really know whether I uh, subconsciously raised my children uh, the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I did. I we just have an awful lot of fun, and they're full of sunshine. You Great. know. Have you been victimized, Judy, with all the money you've earned? Oh, indeed, Disappeared I have. and so forth? Yes. Can you figure out, Judy, has you've been responsible for concert tours? Well, I've never put it down on paper or anything, but it must be quite a lot. It must be way up in the millions. But, uh... I hope a little bit of that siphoned off, Judy. No? No. Do we have to have a tag day? What does that mean? A tag day to raise funds for Judy Garland? Yeah, maybe a good <laughs> idea with a with tambourine or something. Let's pause a moment, Judy, for a message, and we'll be right back. Judy. So she wasn't shy about it. She admitted that she didn't have any money and that she had been, you know, basically milked for all she was worth. Okay, so that was that. Uh, you could hear that she was kind of, you know, a little slow. Um, but... So here are some of the audio that she recorded herself. This was not t secretly recorded. She knew. Um, and it goes, you know, some, there are humorous moments. There are really heartbreakingly sad moments. And there are moments when she gets really, really angry. It's basically a therapy session. Um, here's one of the lighter moments. This is Judy Garland speaking. It's kind of just a, a free reeling, freewheeling, you know, um, kind of, flow of consciousness, Judy Garland, in her own words, or not in, you know. Now, uh, well, uh, for openers, I don't know how to work this machine. I'm just astounded at this machine. This is the silliest way I've ever known of spending the nights alone talking to yourself into an obvious Nazi machine. This is a red China Manchurian candidate machine because I can't get anything on tape. And when I do record anything, I automatically erase it. And I'm sitting in a room all by myself. Ho, ho, boy. And across the room on my library shelf are about 35 tapes of shows that I've done for CBS. Hmm. 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 Now, in those boxes that hold the tapes, my life depends on those, and yet I don't know how to work. That's not my business. I was trying to be a singer. I don't know how to read notes. I can't read music. And I don't, I can't count too well. And I don't know how to work this machine. But that's the story of my life. You go with it even if you don't know what's going on. Keep talking, singing, smiling, and taping. Okay. So that was one of her earlier kind of lighter moments. Here's later, and you can hear it at different takes. She's at different stages of drunkenness, or you know, her vo her words are slurred together. But I think she's being honest. And here's one of the sadder moments. 
I've just about got it made. All I have to do is talk, and all you have to do is read or listen. And believe me, the way you believed me when I sang all the songs, well, now I'm talking, and listen to me, for goodness sakes. Don't make a joke of me anymore. People say, and print, and believe the stupid ones and the, mon the minority that I'm either a drunk, a drug addict, or what? It's a goddamn wonder I'm not. But I'm not. Because there's Joe, Lorna, Liza, Mark, and me. And whoever wants to love us is welcome. Whoever is against us, get out. It's very difficult, indeed, to record. Very difficult to record one's thoughts alone. And when I play back the tapes, I hear that I slur my words very badly, but that doesn't make too much difference as long as my thoughts are not slurred. I'd like to talk about my three successful children. They're... All right, I would love to play all of these all the way through, but we are running out of time, so that don't make a joke out of me anymore. That just breaks my heart. Uh, so she goes through the range of emotion, and here she's just straight up angry. I'm very self-conscious about talking about myself. But I think I've got something to write about at last. If you like it, You'll like it. If you don't like it, you won't like it. But you won't be able to take it lightly. Any more than I've been able to take it lightly. I've laughed at myself when I should have cried. And I've cried because I had every reason I got damn mad. I'm an angry lady. I'm a lady who is angry. I've been insulted, slandered, humiliated, but still America's sweetheart. Now, I'm a rather intelligent, I think, or, and I'm emotional. Yeah, I'm a woman. I'm emotional. I'm not something you wind up and put on the stage that sings Carnegie Hall album and you put her in the closet and forget to invite her to the party that's given for her, the agents leave her behind. I'm mad, I am mad enough and yet still very self-conscious but I'm gonna write a book and I'm gonna talk because I can do something besides sing, you know. I don't always have to sing a song. There is something besides the man that got away or over the rainbow or the trolley song. There's a woman. There are three children. 
there's me, there's a lot of life going here. I wanted to believe, and I tried my damnedest to believe in the rainbow that I tried to get over, and I couldn't. So what? Lots of people can't. But I'm not lots of people. I'm me. I'm the one who's had delivered me. I don't want to hear any resentment from anybody else now about how difficult I am. And I don't want to pick up a paper and read how unfit a mother I am when I have three marvelous children who seem to take and have always loved me. Fat, thin, funny, sad. They think I'm pretty good. I think they're great. I have love and have never planned revenge. However, however this book turns out, it's because of, I am the result of an audience, of a critic, of critics of what people have made me. And in the meantime, there's been another whole human being, myself, that hasn't been even interesting enough to write good stories in the newspapers that would be printed. They weren't, they're not interested. I, I'm a good cook. I am a good mother. I do believe in going to church. I love music. I love a lot of things that the people around me that have surrounded me all my life, all my 44 goddamn marvelous, failing, successful, and hopelessly tragic and starlit years. I've been surrounded by people who were not in my league. They were the disbelievers. Now they're going to have to put up with their names being printed. They better not sue because I'm only going to write it the truth. But in the meantime, how do I find the true Judy Garland or Francis Garland or whatever just a, a girl or a woman. I get angry. I've never been allowed to be angry. I can get angry in front of my front office. I'm supposed to transport that. I don't know. I only use my... I do get so frustrated. It's very difficult for Irving. It's all well and good for you people, publishers, now this is not to be included in my book, for Irving and Zara say, just take 50 uh, pages and it would be taken off the table, but you can't write how nervous my hands get or how lost I might get when I have to remember because 
I went through five years of psychoanalysis going back over a life that was no good to begin with, no fun, and it's a little good. I'm doing it purely for money because I deserve it. I've sung. I've entertained. I've pleased your children. I've pleased your wives. I've pleased you, you sons of bitches! And you can't deny that! Okay. Uh, is that not hard to listen to i mean like especially you know a lot of people listen to that it's just become available I, people will make fun of that people will think that's funny she's drunk she's you know if you listen to the few clips that i've even played here towards the end here you know she says i listen back i hear that i slur my words okay but my thoughts aren't slurred oh, she's just a broken sad lonely person and it makes it breaks my heart i mean when you think of the movie she made and she's so you know she sings she dances with gene kelly fred astaire uh james mason you know the wizard of oz and and yet here in her real life she's feeling angry and broken and sad it's it's tough it's tough but anyway we're just about out of time unfortunately um this has basically been a very quick a very condensed i wish i could have played some songs from judy's concert years but you know yeah you do what you can you've been listening to the next best thing right here on radio free brooklyn i'm your host jonathan b Lerner, who keeps you company every monday night from 10 until midnight uh until next week follow us on twitter we are at next best radio like us on facebook facebook.com slash nbt radio support us donate make a recurring donation as much or as little as, as you want rfb.nyc slash nbt and find all of our episodes past and eventually future whatever um as podcasts on itunes just go to the itunes store or the podcast app on your phone and search for the next best thing and hit our logo and subscribe um until next week, folks, stay safe, stay warm. Apparently the blizzard is coming. It's supposed to start very soon here. So I hope everyone is tucked away inside. And I hope you've all got your emergency supplies because apparently it's the apocalypse. As I look at the Weather Channel, this isn't just a storm. It's Winter Storm Stella. Because <laughs> you got to give everything a name nowadays. Winter Storm Stella. New York governor, New York City mayor, they've announced a state of emergency beginning at midnight, so we've got a few minutes, due to winter storm Stella. So take care of yourselves and each other. Stay warm, stay happy, stay healthy, resist peacefully, and we'll see you next week. To take us out is Judy Garland singing her signature song, Over the Rainbow, live in concert. She never sang this song without giving it her all, and boy, is it emotional.
Swear. 